Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the wonderful world of wine, every week bringing you trending topics and tasting from the world of wine. I am Kim Simone, and I am here with my wine colleague, Mark Lindsay. How are you this week, Mark? I'm great, Kim. Nice to be talking wine with you and our listeners again today. And indeed, we always love to bring you the most happening things in the wine world, which sometimes is seasonally appropriate drinks, sometimes is holiday wine pairings, sometimes is the latest news from the world of wine. What we think is happening. What we think. (laughs) We hope our (laughs) listeners are enjoying it. We try, right? We do. And there's a lot of things out there in the wine world to enjoy and to learn about. And as Mark loves to make a point of bringing up in probably every show, I love sparkling wine. Uh, As our listeners, if you've been listening for a while, know that uh, Champagne and Prosecco and Cava and Cremant are some of my favorite things in the whole wide world. And we have an article explaining some of the differences between how some of those bubbly wines taste. So we have an article from, it's an an English publication. So they did focus a little bit more on some of those wines that are a little bit more available across the pond, if you will, and not so much in the American wine market, but the descriptions that they were talking about and how champagne and those other sparkling wines are made is fairly universal for all of us uh, drinking bubbles across the world. So it was Toast levels in sparkling wines, and it comes from a website called glassofbubbly.com. What a great name for a website. Yeah, I knew you liked that. <laughs> so it really, the point of this article was that it was focusing the, a discussion of tasting notes around this concept of the term toasty. And what do we mean when we talk about toast level of a champagne? And what does that actually mean? And where do those flavors come from? And made me think a little bit about the similarities in flavor profiles to beer too. You know, when we're um, learning about beer, we learn about toast levels of malt and, you know, different colors and how they're related to like, you know, it's a croissant versus a burnt piece of toast versus raw bread dough. And those are all a lot of the same things that we talk about when we talk about those flavors in sparkling wine. Yeah, that's a great comparison. I, I didn't even think of that, but the toasted malt thing is, mm-hmm. is perfect to how to understand this topic. And some of our listeners have probably heard when we talked wine in the past, we've mentioned toasty or toast of wine barrels, oak barrels, mm-hmm. and, and that reference meaning how much they burn the inside of a barrel to impart some flavor into the wine. And and if it's a light toast, it's a heavy toast. So this saying toast levels from a sparkling wine has nothing to do with a barrel. So Kim, I think we have to tell the listeners, we're talking here, traditional method sparkling winemaking leads to these aromas and flavors of the wine. And I love that you brought up the difference between how we get there with that toasting of the inside of a barrel. Yes, we sort of come to the same type of tasting note, whether you're talking about a big toasty Chardonnay 
or you're talking about a big toasty champagne. <laughs> so the way the wine gets there as far as that final flavor is very, very different. It's not that toasting of the inside of the barrel. So you're not literally getting it from a char. You're getting to it from these chemical changes that between the yeast and time, the bottom or whatever, whether it's a tank if it comes to Prosecco, if you have an aged Prosecco, uh, but usually it's a bottle if you're talking about champagne. So over time, the flavor of the wine changes and develops these, you know, sort of sometimes buttery, sometimes creamy, but often, you know, baked good kind of aromas and flavors that has nothing to do with a barrel. So it's, you know, it's a little bit weird that we use the same terms to describe these same f- sort of flavors and um, sensations that we get to from these completely different methods. Yeah, the geeky term they use to describe what this toastiness comes from is a, a mallard reaction. Have you ever heard of the, the, the actual technical term, Kim? Yes. Mallard. This is big in cooking. Of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> yeah, so this I is never... a fairly common cooking term, believe it or not. So they're saying this is a chemical reaction with the acids emerging from the lees or the dead yeast cells mm-hmm. acts with the sugar right. and it generates this toastiness or right. aroma. So, and so in food, how would you relate it? So this is it, this is actually really all about the sugar. And when we talk in cooking about the Maillard reaction, we often talk about it in terms of like grilling meat or um, pan searing meat or baking bread or roasting vegetables. So whenever you cook something over heat and you end up with that browning on the outside of your food, whether it's, you know, that really nice, like golden brown char on the outside of a piece of chicken or a perfectly crispy fried potato or a really, really nice loaf of bread that has a nice brown, crispy crust. That's all the same reaction. So it's all about what is that transformation of the sugars in that food product because of the application of heat. Now, in the case of champagne, you don't necessarily have the heat but you have that same chemical reaction taking place in the wine that transforms those sugars into this. And the only way I can think of describing it is like a browner smell, you know, (laughs) sort of like, you know, you've got raw bread dough and it smells one one way, but then you have baked bread dough and it smells completely different. So that's, that was one of the questions I want to ask you when you're talking about the aromas and flavors of a sparkling that, and you want to describe toastiness. So you're saying like, uncooked bread, then like a light toasted bread, then like mm-hmm. burnt or, or really toasted bread, mm-hmm. right? Is that how like you, the, how, the, how you the would explain it? Yeah. yeah. So the progression I, from like less color to more color. And I never thought of the raw toast. You know what I mean? Like the just bready, more bready than more burnt or, yeah. or more heat sauce to it. So but you could also think about it, maybe not think about it as raw bread or raw dough, but think of it like What's the difference in flavor between a cooked noodle and a cooked piece of bread? Like they're both cooked flour product, but they have very, very different flour flavors, I guess you you can say. So whether you're talking about, you know, spaghetti or you're talking about ramen noodles, that flavor of a boiled noodle is very, very different from the flavor of a, a baked piece of bread. And they're pretty much the, the same thing, just are undergoing a different type of cooking method. So I, I, I think I like thinking about it like that, like a piece of pasta more than raw bread dough, <laughs> maybe yeah, just yeah. because it's more appealing to talk about spaghetti than right, it is about right. raw dough. Yeah, I understand that. 
So we're talking here, sparkling wines that's made what they call the traditional method. It's sitting on, it's on the, on the yeast, it's, it's uh, capped off and it's fermenting in the bottle. So the, the yeast is dying off. The sugar is, is eating up the, the yeast, right? And it does create a little bit of heat in the bottle, but mm-hmm. it's not just, you know, champagne. There's other traditional methods of sparkling made all over the world. And then you open it and the difference between this traditional making and something that's fermented in a tank is you don't really get this toastiness. And it's it's the unique character. And the longer right. it sits on that dead yeast, it imparts more of that into the wine. And as far as styles, Kim, when you describe or someone's asking about champagne, you, you drink a lot of sparkling. Have you noticed levels of toastiness based only on the aging length? Or, or just in, in different producers? Or how do you look at that as far as if someone said, I want I want a sparkling, but I want something that's really toasty, like yeah. really toasty. Do you find different levels in the sparklings that you drink? I do. And and I I think you're right on the money there. It's it's not any one of those things. I, I try to put all of those components together because they really can make this like a whole line from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum. And sometimes it's about producer. Sometimes it's about style. Um, sometimes it's about what is this sparkling wine. So like, for example, like you were just mentioning, the tank method production bubblies, what, there's nothing wrong with them being made that way. They're not the same as champagne. They don't necessarily get this toastiness. So if you're looking for something that's fresher and lighter and you get more fruitiness, which I think a lot of people really like in their wines, you want to be on one end of the spectrum. So you want the classic example of this is Prosecco. So whenever someone says that to me that they want something that's, you know, a light, fruity, easy drinking kind of sparkling wine, like I feel like Prosecco is the way to go because it doesn't have any of this toastiness. And sometimes this toastiness can get a little funky. Right. Like right. sometimes it, you know, turns the corner to be like reminding you of a glass of sherry or toast Toasted nuts or, you know, sometimes burned things so like, or, right. or as if the bottle has been open for too long. And if so all you drank was Prosecco and then you moved into this other style with the toasty levels, you'd probably freak out a little bit because it's totally different style. Right. It might not so, be your style. Right. Like they both have bubbles, but that's kind of where the similarity ends. So I think it comes down to figuring out what people are interested in drinking, you know, where their sort of style profile is and then work within the, okay, will the Prosecco work better for you? Or will this particular producer of champagne who I know makes this more taste toasty style versus this producer who makes a little bit of a less toasty style. So once you get into actual champagne from France, then I think that's when it comes down to producer and it comes down to, is this their basic house style of champagne that they produce year in and year out and they're always trying to make a consistent product? Or is this a vintage champagne or is this one of those sort of specialty bottlings? Because the vintage ones and the specialty ones usually have more age on them and will show more of this toasty characteristic. So, you know, if you're drinking yellow label Veuve Clicquot next to a vintage Veuve Clicquot, yes, Clicquot always has this toasty note to it, but the vintage one will have more. Can you relate the toastiness by looking at the color of a traditional method sparkling? So I've noticed 
ones yeah. that are longer age, they're a lot darker and you get more pronounced toasty notes. Than Absolutely. But you won't necessarily know that before you open the bottle. Right. Exactly. Because yeah, the bottles are, you know, green or brown, you know, our traditional wine bottle, bottle colors. So you're not right. going to know until you open the bottle. So it's not so, a good way to like determine what you want to buy necessarily. So in the past, here's my other question for you, Kim. When I'm <laughs> tasting a sparkling wine and making a note, a tasting note, I'm saying, yeah, I'm, there's a toasty note to it. Do you ever say it's a light toasty? It's a medium toast on mm -hmm. this wine? You do. Absolutely. I've, I've never put levels to it. I've only said, oh. yeah, there's a toastiness, which is expected, but never, you know, when you think, you know, the real geeky tech note in a wine, they'll say uh, medium, medium plus uh, acid, uh, you know, mm -hmm. they don't really do a toasty. Do they on the, like a real technical note? I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever I've never paid attention that. enough to what a tasting note from maybe a winery's website for is saying about their yeah. wine. I know that I do it for mine, especially when I'm trying to write something for a consumer to understand the flavor of the wine. So I feel like it's my duty as someone who is talking about a wine to not necessarily give it every single descriptive term that I can think of, but just to make it understandable. And I feel like if I can throw in some of those notes about a light toast or a heavy toast, but maybe not use those words, like maybe say this reminds me of toasted cashews instead of toasted pecans, like that kind of gives. Right, right. Yeah. You bring up a good point. A difference a of, lot of, you know, different level. There is a lot of nuttiness Nutty. involved to when you're talking about yeah. the sparkly too. So that's a good comparison. So or like the difference between croissant versus, I don't know, burnt baguette or right. what else can I think of? Well, that, <laughs> Caramel or, you know, toffee or, the, you know, those kinds of flavors. That, that leads to good uh, food pairing ideas and suggestions too, because the more that toasty note you get, the more you could play with foods that have more toasted levels or nuttiness to it. Or even just basic heavier foods. Right. So yeah, if you have, more weight. yeah, if you have one of these wines that yes, it's technically a light bodied wine because it's white. First of all, it's got bubbles to it, which always sort of lightens the palate, but you've got these flavors that are really rich, even without necessarily having any sugar or whatever, those flavors will really stand up to a heartier dish. Like you can put them with, oh God, sparkling wines go with like everything. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I, I mean, as everybody knows who listens to me, you know, I find them to be one of the most versatile wines out there for pairing with like anything. Like I would totally put a bottle of good champagne with roasted potatoes, with barbecued chicken, you know, anything that's got some guts to it, you know, some, some significant flavor. Yeah. Just, I mean, this all gave me ideas of doing an actual tasting where you have different styles of, of sparkling with different toasted breads, like a crostini, say that's, you know, light toast or no toast, and then build it up and pair it with wines that matched at that level. Mm. I think it would be like a interesting comparison to compare to compare like the level of the sparkling to the level of the toast on the actual bread. Well, it, I always come back to the um, the pairing of champagne and potato chips. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> or French fries. Yeah, and like, okay, fry. it's like this champagne goes better with, you know, a light, crispy French fry. But this champagne goes better with like those, what are they, like golden russet Cape Cod potato right. chips that are like really dark. Really dark. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. That, like, that would be a very interesting tasting comparison. It's like, yeah. this is already like my favorite food to yeah. put with champagne. Why don't we try a whole bunch of potato chips? See, so many ideas. I love it. But a lot of people, I hope our listeners, you learn something about. About, uh, toasted levels and sparkling mm-hmm. so it's uh i mean we learned a few things from it i think it's it's interesting and it doesn't have to you know you don't necessarily have to stick to this very like british interpretation of toast like there are lots of other cuisines from other places in the world that also utilize this flavor profile so if you think of like fried spring rolls or you think of dishes that have like a sticky glaze that still has this not not so much buttery but this cooked on almost getting to the point of being burnt but not burnt sort of flavor profile is this super caramelization it's a lot of those same flavors too so those types of foods again would go really really well with these champagnes that have this more toasty profile and I think it's completely appropriate to then, you know, use those terms in the description as well. Like we don't necessarily have to stick to this English or French food dictionary to just tasting term. There are a lot of other things out there that make perfect sense when you taste a wine and smell a wine. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine for any questions or comments. We'd love any feedback from you. If you want more information about Kim, you can find her on her website, vinitaswineworks.com. If you like more information about myself, you can find me on franklinliquors.com, and you can hear us every week on WFPR.FM. Next, we want to talk about something that uh, liquor.com mentioned, and Kim was excited about this, the use of wine syrups in your drinks. And I have to admit, Kim, you know, I'm not, it's not going to shock you, but I knew nothing about wine syrup, but I know you- On the other hand, you saw this article and you're like, this is a total Kim article. Yeah. Well, no, when I see something like this, I know it's different. So I yeah. think we have to talk about it. We have to tell the listeners about it. I'm sure many listeners probably know or do this, uh, but it's basically taking leftover wine that you have and, and you make a syrup from it and you put it in your drink somehow. So mm-hmm. I, I'm sure you've done it right kim so tell our listeners how kim does this i'm i'm happy to <laughs> i mean i know you I, make I have, vinegar i have and... a feeling that we've run across this concept when we've done shows that focus on articles that are like you know leftover 15 wine. things to do with your leftover wine yeah. like those those kind of things but i actually think that this is really seasonally appropriate as we're going into summer and as i think we we're sort of in the midst of having this really interesting sort of seasonal cocktail thing where people are looking to brighten up their afternoon or early evening summertime cocktails by maybe doing something that's a little bit lighter. You know, you don't want something really heavy like a martini when it's, you know, 85 degrees out. And I think using these wine infused or fruit infused, all these other lighter, flavorful things is a really fun and yeah, like this bright way of having a refreshing summertime kind of cocktail. So, so it's adding, wh- 
you're, mm-hmm. you're saying that syrup is more to add different fruit flavors to another drink. I, I think that it can work really well alongside summer fruits. Yeah. And other flavorings for a whole variety of things. And it doesn't even need to be something that is like really boozy heavy. Like if you make a wine syrup and you have some other fruits in there, you have a fairly low alcohol syrup. And then if you even just add that to seltzer water, you know, you've got something that is fairly light. It's got a little bit of the flavor of the wine in there, but it's not something that is going to really cause you to get super (laughs) super drunk, kind of like the wine cocktail equivalent of a session beer, you know, lower in alcohol, easier to drink when the weather is really hot because you don't want to overheat and you don't want to get dehydrated. And this is, I think, a nice way of having a refreshing, cool, warm weather drink that still does have a little bit of alcohol to it, but isn't really over the top. So the wine syrup is is basically just like making simple syrup, right? But you're adding wine to some sort of wine to the sugar. And so, and I would consider it an ingredient to use in something else. So I look at this as very similar to if people are familiar with what a shrub is. So a shrub is like a sweetened flavored mixer that has a vinegar base, whereas these things are a sweetened kind of fruity cocktail ingredient that has a wine base. So you would use your leftover wine, you would add some sugar to it. Maybe you could add some fruit to it and you would reduce it a little bit. You would dissolve the wine in it. As you're heating it up to dissolve the sugar, you're going to evaporate some of the alcohol. So you're going to end up with a slightly lower alcohol syrup to begin with. And then you've captured that fruity essence of the wine, depending on what kind of wine you're using. And it's one of these things where then you can just add it to stuff. So you could add it to a sangria and you know get a different kind of fruit flavor to your sangria. You can add it to a cocktail. Um, If you have a vodka cocktail and you add a little bit of this to it, then you're making just a different flavored vodka cocktail. Or like I said before, you know, add it to some sparkling water and you have like a spritzer. Yeah. I mean, you said sparkling water. I think right now adding it to a seltzer that's Mm -hmm. so popular right now. I mean, there's there's liquor-based seltzers. We talked about this before, wine-based or just sugar-based. But adding this little extra kick of some sort of fruit flavor from some wine you have in a syrup would really enhance that. Mm And I think what's nice about these is that you follow the same basic rules that you follow when you're making sangria, whether it's winter sangria or summer sangria, white or red. I feel like the same rules apply for what wine to use. So you don't want to use anything overly oaky and you don't really necessarily need to use anything sweet because you're going to be adding some sugar to it. So other than that, I mean... Yeah, tannic, nothing super yeah, tannic, Yeah, nothing right? too tannic for your reds. You know, you want a fruity, lighter red. I really feel like these go hand in hand with a lot of the sangria recipes that are out there. Just follow me- those rules and, and you're good. And you mentioned you can use older wine that you have left over. They recommended you can also use older bubbly and they actually mm-hmm. suggested use the older bubbly because maybe the combination isn't as, as exactly. much yep. and the acid won't be as strong. If it's a little, you know, open for a while. Right. But have you ever used bubbly to make a syrup? Not to make a syrup, although I have a recipe for making a like a gelatin with it for adding on top of like a fruit tart. And I haven't done it yet, but I really would like to, to do that. But I, I would advise our listeners to differentiate between old, meaning it's been open for a few days versus old, like vinegar. You should have drunk it four (laughs) years ago and it's been sitting, you know, on your fridge or in your bar. And when you pour a glass of it, it's really brown. If it has gotten to that stage, it's not going to taste good in any form. 
So right. adding adding any amount of sugar to that is not going to make it taste any better. So we mean just, you know, open for a few days and maybe yeah. doesn't taste as bright and fruity as you would like it to taste or it's lost all of its bubble. Um, but other than that, you know, I, I wouldn't use something that's like old, old, old. If, if your wine is brown, it's probably a little bit too over the hill. And as far as preparing this, I, I saw a lot of similarities to when we talked about mulled wine. They mm-hmm. talked about, you know, in a crock pot, they talked about, what's that device? A sous vide? Sous vide. Sous vide. So they recommend you could do use that as well. So what's your tip? Just stovetop? Gentle uh, heat. Yeah. yeah. What, regard, oh. It doesn't really, I mean, I don't think it really matters what device you use as long as it's low, gentle heat. You don't want it to come to a rolling boil. Because you just, you don't want to do that. <laughs> Have you seen this in a commercial form? Like uh, my example is you see simple syrups all the time. And uh-huh. I find it funny. You have two ways people look at simple syrup. They say, oh, I can do that. I can make that. No problem. I'm not yeah. going to buy it. And you have the people, oh, you could. Yeah. I don't have to put up with yeah. making it, right? I'll pay for it and I'll buy it. Have you ever seen wine syrups? In- no. That's I cool. haven't. And and I yeah. wonder if that's because it still has some alcohol left. You know, it's not like, I don't know. I was going to say cooking wine that you get at the grocery store, but that uh, actually does yeah. still have. <laughs> I know I'm not going to get you started. I don't think that wine. would stop. I, I mean, I think it's a way you can get alcohol on a, in a food store without any issue. You know what I mean? I think, you know, yeah. you look at uh, any, you know, extracts and stuff like that. Is, mm-hmm. It's the same thing. But, but I would think yeah, that you I would, would think- want more of this wine syrup because, yes, you're... You know, you're boiling a little bit, you're dissolving sugar in it, but you're not necessarily concentrating it all that much. Like you would really have to give it a lot of time and water evaporation in order to reduce it down to like a real syrup. And the reason why it's syrupy is because of the sugar that you added to it. The reason it's syrupy is not because you're taking a significant amount of the water out of it. And the longer that you heat it, the more of the aromatics and the more of the flavors that you're going to lose. So that's sort of the, um, that was the difficulty of, yeah, that's the difficulty of adding heat to wine because it's really sensitive to heat. So like, you'll notice if you, you know, you're making a, let's say a beef stew with a, a bottle of red wine that you like to drink. You have a glass of that red wine and then you're using it the rest of the way in cooking. That sauce that you're making with that red wine is not going to retain really a lot of the characteristics of that wine that you're so used to drinking. Because by the time you add a lot of heat and other ingredients and things, you're losing a lot of those aromatics. You're breaking down those chemical compounds that give wine those unique characteristics. So heat, yeah, heat is a, heat is an enemy. So what is one wine style you would like to try this on that I uh, I would totally do this with Sauvignon Blanc really? absolutely with rosé see that's why we're so different <laughs> oh really oh, no, I, I was you know I think I would try it with a port a port okay. wine just because it's a big wine that has sure. a lot of things going I would think like a delicate like Sauv Blanc I would lose a lot of that fruit yeah but you get the brightness of the citrus, like yeah. you get that acid, so when you, you you're still going to retain that citrusy you're and like put that with some gin, like, oh yeah. Yeah. No, that works. <laughs> yeah. I, I would think you would have lost a lot of that citrus fruit. I think you, you lose some of it, but my concern with the port would be if you have, I mean, port is always aged in barrels and I would be afraid that you, by concentrating that, all you'd taste was oak. Really? You lose all the fruit and just get the oak. And also, how much sugar yeah. are you going to add to that? I mean, that port well, already has already so much sugar. sugar. Well, that's the whole thing with yeah. syrup. <laughs> 
yeah sugar, so much so much sugar yeah now can mm. you use different types of sugar when you oh i would this? assume that you would but and then and then different types of sugar would add different characteristics to the, yeah. yeah so if you were to use like brown sugar you're i would do that with like a chardonnay because then yeah. you're highlighting those caramelly notes because your right. wine and your sugar have those characteristics See, mix that with, with some bourbon that'd be good yeah and don't they make like wine sugars didn't we see something where there was always oh, that salts where they were flavored they might that have was salt. salt yeah yeah and salt. those were with red wines weren't they like they were using yeah yeah Merlot and then it, it was and... a really pretty like pinkish maroonish color too it's probably sugars out there too but <laughs> i'm sure i think it's exciting so you're gonna try this uh i'm absolutely gonna more? try this yeah I mean, I'm, I'm always thinking of new fun things to um, experiment on my girlfriends with <laughs> like when they come over for drinks. We, we've been holding driveway drinks, you know, since the pandemic began because we couldn't go into each other's houses. So we would just sit in the driveway and have a cocktail. So I was always springing new things on them. So I think a, uh, a wine cocktail with a wine syrup would be a lot of fun. Thank you for listening today to The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine and past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. And make sure you tune in every week on Franklin Public Radio, WFPR 102.9 for our most recent episode. Cheers. Wine, wine, wine.